John and Judy, I have a question for you two. You are both writers and creative people. How would you write a cold open if you were doing a podcast and introducing a couple of amazing and talented people like yourself? Like ourselves. Well, like ourselves, but not ourselves. (laughs) Well, Rick, (laughs) it's a good question. Be very appropriate for what we are doing today. I may have had a little bit of a writer's block. Well, okay, I have an idea for you. Why don't you tell a joke or say something funny to break the ice? You know, ice, cold, open. Oh, I see what you did there. uh... I see what you did there. (laughs) I could try to do that, but really, I'm not that funny. (laughs) I'm laughing. (laughs) I think you're on the right track. Do you think you have all the parts you need? I, I think so. I think so. I think I think I've I've done a good job of introducing the guests. I think I've done a part about making sure that everybody gets to say something. I, I don't think that there's anything I really forgot. Uh hey, what about I just need to start the opening credits right about now. Welcome, dear listener, to our podcast, Jeff and Rick Presents, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer. Analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. And I am Rick. And welcome to our very special guests, Judy and John Bogdanov. Thank you both so very much for joining us here today. Thank you, Jeff. We're happy to be back. Thank you guys for putting up with all of our technical difficulties, including the one that I just had and the rescheduling and everything else. And as you said, during the great little conversation we had before I realized that it wasn't recording, 2020, it's the night that never ends, (laughs) not only the year and month and century. Yeah. How many days do we have left in 2020? Uh, 259. Sounds about right. (laughs) Got about eight months of month left. And my poor daughter's my poor daughter's sitting here saying, no, no more. No yeah, more. I know. I'm sorry, Carrie. It's three years till Christmas now. 23 days, Carrie, but it just feels like 2300. Speaking of Christmas, I do want to say that we can see both of your beautiful faces and the beautiful Christmas tree behind you and the awesome matching X-Men Christmas shirts. Well, it's actually all kinds of stuff here. We got Uncanny Xmas, and we've got Santa in Superman logo, and Mary in Marvel logo, and Shalom in Shazam logo, and uh, Amazing Saturnalia in Spider-Man's logo, and Krampus over here. Let's see what else we got. We got... Captain America with a star of Israel on his Oh, field. Fantastic Four Festivus logo and, uh, oh, Batman Holly. Uh, See that? <laughs> Those are cool shirts. I'm sitting here in my Alex and Julie and Jack and Katie shirt. That's awesome. And I don't like to brag or boast, but I think my uh, plain t-shirt has uh, armpits still in it. So, yep. <laughs> so we, we're, we're all fancy. Yeah. Carrie's very fancy. She's got the, uh, the heart that says game on on it on hers oh that's great that's is that nice. one of those sequin shirts where you can go up and down on it and it changes uh, what it is yeah ah, very neat that's cool that's the coolest shirt well i should point out that i did not know that judy would be wearing this shirt and she did not know that i would be wearing oh, nice. this shirt but happened to be it happens that way a <laughs> lot this. and sometimes kal will come in with the same shirt <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
I'll come out for coffee with Judy and we'll realize that we've got the same shirt on. And then Kellogg will come over from his house. And for he'll coffee. go, oh no. <laughs> and he'll and he'll take one look at us and then one look at his exactly the same shirt and like turn around and go uh, change. <laughs> no, you could be the adorable family that all dresses the same because you're loving and caring and have just started morphing into one person. Like John Carpenter's the thing. You're just a big, embarrassing, dysfunctional <laughs> family. <laughs> I never have that problem because I'm usually in a t-shirt and shorts and my wife is usually in three shirts, a sweater, long pants, parka, and that's during summer. Just summer. She doesn't exist during the winter months. No, in winter months, winter months, you'll find her hidden underneath a blanket and about three cats. So. Well, cats, cats are very warming. I, I want to really quickly, I want to have Carrie ask some questions because she's been very patient during all of this beginning part. And I know that she wants to get back upstairs. Well, this best part. So I'm going to go ahead and jump right to some questions that Carrie has for Judy. And Carrie, do you want to come up and ask your questions to Judy Bogdanoff? Hi, as you may know, my name is Carrie and I have like three cats and I love my family very much. What of your favorite comic books? Well, when I was your age, my favorite comic books were, of course, Superman or anything that had Superman and his friends in it and Little Lulu. Oh, I guess Richie Rich and Casper and all those those guys were my favorites. Carrie, did you ever read Little Lulu? Uh, I feel like... I think that we found... Or we got one on a free comic book day. There was a Little Lulu yeah. that came out, and I think she yeah. read that. But yeah. that, that's about it. There's a lovely collection of uh, Lulus, a hardback, you know, like the way they collect stuff. And Little Lulu is in many ways, particularly the work of John Stanley, who is the guy who wrote and drew that comic book back when we were little. Only he uh, called himself Marge. Right. Well, yes, but the artist who did the comics wrote the comics was John Stanley. Okay. And Little Lulu is very much a precursor of Power Pack because a lot of the sort of funny gags we did and the way the voices of kids sound real in Power Pack that really comes from Little Lulu. So if you ever get a chance to find one of those big books of you know old reprints like from the 1950s or whenever it was coming out i think you might like it it's pretty funny there are not many comic books that i've actually laughed out loud at but little lulu does it for me yeah. i will definitely keep an eye out for that and see if the carrie would like that as well mm-hmm. yeah i think carrie might like it what was your favorite childhood moment with comics Ah, oh, yeah i can tell you that well i lived on a farm in New Jersey, and my closest first cousins lived in New York, in Far Rockaway. And my cousin, Alan, he had a room that had a walk-in closet. And in his walk-in closet, it was floor to ceiling with comics. And of course, I living on a farm could only get a comic once in a while. So it was very precious and got reread many, many, many times. But when I got a chance to, uh, my mom would take me to New York to see my cousins. My cousin and I, would we'd said the proper hellos and then we'd vanish into his closet where we would spend the entire time reading comics. And it was like having gone to heaven, but still being here. Very nice. I like that. That's cool. 
<laughs> yeah, my daughter, I have recently allowed my daughter to uh, get into my long boxes of comics, and she just started going through my 1980s run of uh, X-Men, starting with issue 139? I think so. Yeah, 139. Nice. Wow. Uh, I started her out in the issue where uh, right after Phoenix dies on the moon and they have oh. the funeral. I thought that was a nice start because it does a nice recapture of all of X-Men. So yeah. my, my daughter has noticed, though, that these ones take a little longer for her to read. Something about Chris Claremont. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well... I mean, some of mine are pretty wordy, too, I have to say. <laughs> we may have made that comment from time to time. <laughs> what inspired you to write these comics? Well, we loved Power Pack a lot, both of us. We discovered it early in the run and loved it very much. And then he was drawing it after June left, June Brigman after. And I don't honestly remember how it came about that I was allowed to write this. John, do you remember, how did it actually come about that I wrote it? I mean, Wheezy was writing it all the time. Yes, it came about in the same way, it came about in the same way that I got to write it, and June got to write it, and Terry got to write it. You were leaned on by Wheezy. Oh, Wheezy wanted a break. <laughs> Wheezy wanted, I, I had been already writing it. But, uh, but she said... It's a long time ago. I yeah, forget. She said, Judy, you should write one. And she made you do oh, it. That's right. So given the opportunity, of course, I jumped at it and had a lot of fun doing it. It's a fun story. Yeah, in the in the context of the, of the stories, it takes place right after John's last issue that he wrote. And then there was another one that it was in between that one and yours. It was uh, a Terry Austin one. So... I could see that they needed a story. You probably had been pushed by Wheezy, and yeah. Well, and Kalel, as you can see here, was just the same age as Franklin at that time. Yeah. My mother, his mother, made him the Franklin costume, so that was very inspiring, you know, to, to write a comic with him in it. We love that photo so much. Who is your favorite member of Power Pack? When Franklin is with them, I guess he is. And I maybe, I don't know, Jack. I really like Jack. He's a little like me, I think. <laughs> That's why you chose Jack and Franklin. John says Jack is the most like me. <laughs> <laughs> that actually was one of the questions that I was going to ask and I had put down is what character in Power Pack represents you and your husband? So you you represent Jack. So what does uh, who does John represent? Oh my goodness, that's a really good question. I think I'll have to ask him. Maybe um, they want to know what cap character represents you. Who me? Yeah, yeah, it might be Katie. Katie's a good choice. Katie's awesome. Katie is awesome. That's who I am. <laughs> <laughs> and how about you, Carrie? What what character represents you? Oh, Katie, I'll be. Katie. Yeah, I would think Katie. All right. Well, then then you and John have a lot in common. Yeah. What character in Power Pack represents your son? And I guess that's just going to be Frank. Well, obviously. Frank. Yeah. <laughs> got, he's got the outfit and everything. And yeah, he grew up and he had superpowers. Uh, the superpowers of oh. being a voice director. Yeah, he kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we think he raised us instead of us raising him. <laughs> I 
think it, I think it's kind of a joint uh, joint parenting is what it usually boils down to because you're passing on knowledge and experience and everything and helping and being there to support your child. But at the same time, your child is in fact teaching you because they're spending so much time with you and you're like getting to be, you know, experience things fresh for the first time, music or dancing or songs or just any number of things or like, hey, we really should look at this leaf for a while. This is a cool leaf. I like leaves, you know, things like that. I did early on that whatever he liked, we were going to like and do it too. <laughs> yeah. You know, it got, it got me back into theater after having been out of it and living remote in Maine for a while. And uh, we all did community theater and made a theater company and all the way right up through till he went off to college. We were involved that way with him and it was great. That would be so much fun. John was telling us about that last time and it sounds fun. It also sounded like uh, you, you guys were, Kind of almost, you know, you and him and his friends and your property was the theater department sort of thing. It's kind of, yeah. It was the clubhouse. It was the clubhouse. Yeah, which is really, really cool. Carrie, is there any other questions that you want to ask before? Nope, not really. I think Carrie's going to head on upstairs, so she'll say goodnight to you. Bye, Bye, see you. Thank you. Nice to see you again. Thank you. you, Carrie. See you again. Bye, Carrie. I have a follow-up question for a question that Carrie had, which was uh, how you got, Judy, how you got involved in writing that uh, issue. My follow-up question is, how did you get John to do the art for you? Oh, that, I mean, there was never any question that he would do art. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I wrote it specifically with him in mind to do the art. Okay. Didn't dangle it around just going, I don't know, John, maybe. I've got some other ideas, no. but <laughs> if they fall through. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, you don't play games like that. <laughs> I don't know. Might have gotten Rob Liefeld. <laughs> but then you would never have seen any feet. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. And those boots are, you have to show those boots. So They're iconic. <laughs> Since we're talking about a little bit about the writing that you did, and I'll just kind of segue into that, and then we'll kind of circle back around to other questions. You did a couple of other stories for uh, Marvel uh, during that same time. Yeah, you did a couple of different New Mutants ones, right? Uh-huh. I, the, the one, my favorite was the one with Boom Boom. I was going to was... say, that is one of my favorites as well. And for those of you that don't remember, that is in the New Mutants Annual number 5. It's one of the short stories that's at the back, and it's Boom Boom's Case of the Cuties. And it's another one that's drawn very well by uh, Mr. John Bogdanov as well. How'd you come up with that little story? Correct me if I'm wrong. It's a long time ago. But I honestly remember that the story appeared to me in a dream. And I woke up in the morning and said, I have the story. And I sat down and wrote it all down. It does have that dream quality to it. (laughs) (laughs) But that, that actually is what happened. I woke up with the story still resonating in my head and wrote it down before I forgot it. For those of you that don't remember back that far, it's this cute little story of Boom Boom, who is supposed to be doing her homework in her room on X-Factor's ship. She's really complaining. She doesn't want to study. And so she's starting to think about boys. And she wants to have a, a cute boy that she can go out with. And Richter comes in, and he's kind of flirting with her. But she doesn't want anything to do with him. And that's when we go into the dreamlike aspect. And she steps out of the page and onto the artist's desk. And she has a conversation with John or John's hand. Cause that's all you really see is John's hand and the pencil. She starts to complain about that. She wants to have a boyfriend and he says, well, and I, by the way, I could read 
the part of the artist with John's voice in my head. I just couldn't could not read it. But it was like, you know, she goes and has um, a little scene with Spider-Man, Mr. Fantastic, uh, Captain America, Daredevil, Doctor Doom, Namor. That's right. <laughs> I got I got censored on the Mr. Fantastic part. Really? Because yes, the original dialogue was <laughs> was supposed to be so. Does every part of him stretch? <laughs> <laughs> and they make it out and write something totally lame, which oh, I it's totally lame. Yeah, whatever. Oh, whatever. <laughs> oh, that is great. Which I Great mistake. Well, it was still, you know, it was still the comics code in yeah. days. It's so much compared to now. Man, I, know. I, I, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but you need to go and watch uh, Kevin Smith's Mallrats because that line is right out of that movie. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. I remember watching Mallrats and saying, hey. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, this is a very cute story because she, after like, finding a reason to say no to all these, including the whole Wolverine Punisher. Uh, she finally ends up with a cute little boy who may be a little too young for her, but she gets a very cute little chase kiss on the cheek from everybody's favorite little toehead, Frank. No, that, that was a fantastically wonderful little story. And I really, oh, really enjoyed just that. Mother nerd. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it occurs to me. It occurs to me that that Franklin really has game when it. Franklin's got game when it comes to uh, older teenage girls. Yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, like Kitty Pride. Yeah. Kitty Pride. Boom, boom boom boom. Both just. Yeah, they love Franklin. You know, he started off really early on because one of his first. Uh, girlfriends that we saw him with was in Days of Future Past in the X book, where his girlfriend was Rachel, Rachel Summers. Ah, yeah. Let Let's uh go back in time a little bit, if possible, and talk a little bit about what kind of childhood you had growing up. Me? Yeah, you. We've already talked to him. I grew- <laughs> He's much. Well, no, I take Stop. it back. I take it back. He's not. <laughs> no, I, I've, I, I've known you <laughs> yes, for like, he is, I've, really. known, I've known you for 40 years. I'm still discovering layers. <laughs> I discovered a whole new layer just day before yesterday. Did you just call me know. an onion? You're, you're kind, of, kind of an onion. <laughs> Many things have layers. Okay, well, I, I grew up on a farm. You could be a parfait. Everybody loves parfait. <laughs> I, I grew up on a farm. I was... Uh, kind of a lonely kid because I was three miles from town. So my refuge was reading and I read, my parents were not, they were very modern in the way that their vast library, they were bookaholics, both of them, and their vast library was open to me. So I, I, I used to read the World Book Encyclopedia for fun. We had, it, we had it up at the top of the stairs that went to my room, and I, I spent many, many hours sitting on the top stair next to the shelf full of, you remember encyclopedias? Are you old enough to remember? But oh this yeah! Oh yeah! Full of World Book encyclopedias, just going like clickbait from one. You know, you'd, yeah. <laughs> there'd be a bold, and so you get the book that had that one in it, and go and read further. So that was that was my beginning into the world of of words and was far, World Book the one? Was World Book the one that would tell you 
it goes from this word to that word, like from kumquat yes. to gum Arabic to kumquat. Gum Arabic to kumquat. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think so. Yeah, because it would, you'd be, you know, your book would kind of sometimes just end, and you're like, I'm not done with the letter. Yeah, and also the world book was the was the cheap encyclopedia. Britannica was the, you know, the most learned one. But being farmers, we couldn't afford Britannica. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, they sprung for the world book. And it was, it was a lifesaver for me because I, I learned a lot from it and about writing and about all the different kind of subjects. Hmm. You kept saying that you grew up on a farm. Where about, where, what state was that farm in? Oh, New Jersey, um, sort of middle to south, Tom's River. Was okay. the name of it. It's in kind of like the, I guess you would call it now the mid coast of New Jersey on the on the ocean. Well, we were about three miles from the ocean, but in that area. Was it just a, a family farm for raising crops and stuff for yourself for consumption, or were they for sale? Oh, it was a family chicken farm. Oh, okay. I had about three thousand chickens. He was an intellectual who couldn't get a job in the depression, so he and there were a lot of um, New Jersey had a lot of farmers at the time who went back to the land in New Jersey raising chickens. And he had a cousin in Tom's River who was doing that. And he, uh, uh, he had really wanted to be a teacher and he, they didn't, they said he had an accent, so he couldn't get a job oh, in New York City, that's too really. Bad. But he didn't really have an accent. But anyway, so he wound up, instead of being a teacher, he wound up as a chicken farmer. I was about, what, six months old or something when we moved from New York out to the farm and stayed there till I graduated high school. Did I hear you guys say you had 3,000 chickens? Yes. Every year, a whole truck full of baby chicks would arrive. And we had these, we had these big heat stoves. And all the baby chicks would go under there like they were under their mom until they fledged. And then the, the heat would be taken away and they'd be chickens. And um, when they were done laying eggs, they went to the to the other place. <laughs> the, friend, the, the, the other fun, friendly farm where they had stew every night. Yeah. <laughs> we never had a shortage of chicken to eat. <laughs> when I grew up, we had uh, chickens as well. Uh, not so much a farm as a, a backyard kind of thing. And uh-huh. you had 3,000. We had a variation of that around like 30 maybe probably less at a time. But yeah, it was it was kind of interesting and fun. And then anytime, you know, the harvest time came around, so to speak, for the stew pot, would always be kind of like, mom's like, all right, you guys get out of here because, you know, I'm going to go do that. And it's like, oh, okay, we'll get out of here. And then uh, it would climb up on top of the chicken coop and kind of peek, o- you know, peeking over and watching the stump until, you know, the deeds had been done. <laughs> yeah, my father would never let me make a pet of a chicken. He said, you don't make a pet and then eat it. Yep. So we didn't. Would your chicken bodies run around after their heads were chopped off? Oh, yeah. My father slaughtered them himself because at that time, because of the older relatives, they were keeping a kosher kitchen. And there was no, this was the wilds of New Jersey at the time. There were no kosher butchers there. So he had to learn how, my father was the most gentle man on the earth, but every Friday, like clockwork, (laughs) 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 off and they would, they would jump around and. He hated doing it, but he had to feed his family. Besides the encyclopedia books and the comic books at your cousin's house, was there any other type of media that you consumed? Well, we didn't have a television set until I was nine years old. I loved going to the movies and listening to the radio. I listened to all the, you know, The Shadow and The Lone Ranger and Nick Carter, Master Detective and all those, those radio shows back in the day. I guess 
that was my media of choice at the time. And so it was all we had, essentially. And, and recordings. And I, I was a piano student. So and my father really loved music. So there was always music in the house. What, were you, what about books? What, what are your, books. some of your best childhood books you can remember? Oh, oh, I read anything and everything. But of course, the my favorites were the uh, Burnett, Francis Hudson, the uh, Francis Hudson Burnett. Yeah. Like The Secret Garden. And, oh, yeah. Little Princess and Little Women, Louisa May Alcott. I loved her writing. Those were my favorites. Did you own those books or did you have to get them from the library? No, actually, I, I owned them. Nice. Yeah. I still have some of them up in Maine. So you guys you guys still have a place up in Maine then too, right? On yes. The, on Monhegan Island. Very similar to one that's appeared in the comic book. Ah. I think we kind of waxed on that when we got to the issue saying, this is very much like what John was talking about when we talked to him last. Now, does this one have uh, plumbing and electricity? Only in the, in the summer months. There's water to it in the summer months. And uh, we are actually partially electrified now. We weren't the, for we, most we, of we the weren't, time. We weren't when, when, uh, when I wrote that story. But in more recent <laughs> years... We had the attic redone and turned into a studio. When we sold our shore, our house in shore, uh, we took some of that money and invested into the house on Higgin. And we had the attic redone. And because it was going to be a studio and because if I was going to work there and if kal was going to work there, we needed electric service up there. So the third floor now uh, has electricity and really good high speed. In, well, it has a dish. It has dish. It has dish, but at least it has... <laughs> pretty good uh, internet. They're supposed to be bringing broadband to the island next spring or something, which will state be state of the art. A state of the art. It will be a huge benefit for everyone, including us. Way better than what we here in LA. The satellite was <laughs> the phone, but still, every time it rained or there was a thunderstorm, which you get a lot of up there, it would, it would cut out and then come back. So it's uh, broadband is really what we need over there. It was a hard thing to decide to electrify. We were kerosene lamps and gas lamps and no electricity. Um, we had a generator for a while, but it always croaked. Oh, you know, we have one plug downstairs too, because for years and years and years, we had an old gas powered refrigerator, propane powered refrigerator. And a few years, few years ago now, it gave it up died, the ghost. died finally. So we also have, we have some power on the first floor as well. It's still gas lamps and rustic, probably too rustic for some people, I'm guessing. <laughs> but well, I think you guys, you guys have sold me on it. I think that uh, when this pandemic thing ends and I can, you know, convince my family, take some time off, we should go schlep all the way across country and go visit Monahegan Island and say, okay, let's see if we can find these, this power pack house. <laughs> <laughs> I Blended. I only hope that we're there when you do that. We'll, we'll have to plan that out. We'll have to plan that out. <laughs> if you drive, Rick, if you drive, of course, you probably fly into Portland. Yeah. If you want to go over the bridge that they went over, you want to take the Route 1 bridge from Portsmouth into Kittery, not the big Interstate 95 bridge. You want to take the old... I promise you that uh, you know, if I make this happen, I'm definitely going to be getting some advice from you. So... <laughs> Yeah. How, do, how do I find your house? How do I find your house, and and where am I? Um, let me let me get back to a little bit of comic books, though. Um, when you were reading a comic book, what did you look for in the comic books that you read? Was there any specific things that you really wanted to see? Yes, I always liked 
a good story that had a good beginning, middle and end. I loved the Superman characters because they always seemed to be on the right side of, you know, truth, justice in the American way, which I liked a lot. I liked Little Lulu because it was very funny. So, you know, amusing <clears throat> where it's supposed to be funny and good character development and plot uh, in the Superman comics. They were the ones I read the most, and I think that's why. Did you, uh, you also read quite a bit of, of Carl Barks's uh, Oh, Ducks, Scrooge, yes, right? yes, ducks. I forgot about the Ducks. Yes, I read a lot of, I liked Scrooge the best. <laughs> I don't know why, maybe because he was the most cantankerous, uh, but I read a, a lot of the Duck comics. And in fact, uh, it was about two years ago now, I actually got a kind of a lifelong wish to write something for the DuckTales. What's it on the Alexa, right? On the Alexa, yeah. yeah. You know the Alexa, the Google Alexa? Yeah. Yeah. When Kellogg was producing at Disney, one of the things he did was set up that deal with Google and with Amazon to uh, create audio-only content for their devices. He auditioned writers for this content, actually uh, opened it up to some new writers some of whom have gone on now to, to keep writing. But uh, Judy submitted, like anybody else, ended up uh, writing... About eight different tales. Uh, for the, eight different Scrooge tales. tales, yeah. So let me ask you this. When you submitted your entry, did you go by a nom de plume, or did you actually put your name down? Or did you go by Kellel's mom? Did you go by Kellel's mom? No. Uh, I don't think so. Are, but, you, uh, are you Judy Kurtzer? No, actually, I went by my own name, uh, Kurtzer. Well, I have had a couple of different names, but... Uh, <laughs> you were a little bit hidden then, so it wasn't so obvious when you when you submitted. Or did, ev did everybody know that it was the director's mom that was... Um, uh, Kellel did not want them to know because he didn't want to be accused of nepotism, so yeah. he hid pretty carefully, I think. He figured it out pretty quick, though, because Judy has certain tells in her writing. <laughs> she, has a, she has a distinct voice. It sounds like you got it on your own merits and there was no nepotism involved. There was an awful lot of material to generate in a very short time. Yeah. He and recruited about 20 different writers, I think. Yep. Yep. Um, it was one of those projects where it was like he initiated and got the ball rolling, but then the two companies had to work everything out. And then by the time... They got greenlit. It was they needed everything right now. So he he spread the work pretty widely. Uh, it was with, a pretty quick deadline, as I recall. Yeah, with a, what with I'm proud to say, an eye toward diversity, both mm -hmm. gender diversity and race <laughs> diversity. I think we should talk just a little bit. I mean, we we're putting this episode out after we have put out our episode on. Issue number 54, Dynamite, which is the one that you wrote. So this is, we're, we're actually doing this interview at the exact right time. Okay. We loved this. This was a wonderful, wonderful book, especially. Thank you. <laughs> this one we absolutely loved. It was a very wonderful story. It was very cute. And we could tell that there's a lot of love that you both put into it. If you don't mind, we just want to talk to you a couple of questions about some of the content, if you can remember it all. Sure. If I can answer it, I will. If not, he will. Because sometimes <laughs> things better than I do. And he can make it up really well. <laughs> First of all, I should ask, what was it like to work on this book with your husband? I mean, a full-fledged book where he's doing the art. How much of it was your content and then he just 
followed along with you or was it very collaborative? Kind of, uh, it was kind of a marriage in that I remember it being incredibly compatible because he can take anything that you write, literally, and I'm not flattering him to say this because it's really true. He can take anything you write and he can make it your vision. And so he did that supremely well with this writing, and I was—I couldn't have been more pleased. Some of, it was fun to work together. Some credit needs to go to Carl Potts on this, because uh, in addition to being a very generous editor, uh, in that Carl's he, a wonderful he let us do pretty much whatever we wanted, yeah. he's also a really good teacher. So Judy had to write a proper plot in the Marvel style. You know, everyone worked Marvel style in those days. It was still the Marvel age of comics. So much better. And we, we could have done it just over the kitchen table at home. But because Judy was working for Marvel, she submitted a proper uh, plot synopsis to Carl for Carl to edit and make suggestions. And so for me... It was like working with Louise in that I got a physical plot to read and to draw from. So it was very much like like uh, any other job in that respect. The only two things that uh, I had a little conceptual trouble with on it was I was not allowed to use the actual mad thinker because... He, he wasn't was, our toy to play with, he, really. He, he wasn't our toy to play with, so they had me make him as a simulacrum that he created, which was okay. You know, that, that worked out fine. And then there was one. It was actually, it actually, you know, I, I used to chafe at that a little bit. I'm sorry to interrupt. Mm -hmm. I used to chafe at having to use uh, a, a sim simulacrum of, of the thinker because I didn't think it really hurt anything to use the real guy, except that reading it over this week, I really like that. It's a, it's a simulacrum for a couple of reasons. One, they're canon. He had those simulacrum. But there's a parallel between the simulacrum trying to break free of its master and become its own mm. character, you know, the independent of the mad thinker, and Franklin uh, trying to right. become his own, his own person uh, separate, uh, separate from, from his father. Yeah. So, um, true. In, in a way, and uh, I don't know. If, you must have thought of this, and Carl must have thought of this, but it actually didn't occur to me until this week. If it did, it was just intuitive. I don't remember thinking of that specifically, but that's the way I write anyway. It's like my mother was an artist, and she often said she never knew what she put into it until she saw it afterwards. And I kind of, sometimes I write that way too, in that it just, you know, it'll come from some somewhere and come out and then I'll look at it and I'll say, yeah, that's what I wanted to write. I don't know if that makes any sense, but. It, it ends up making yeah. it thematic. Yeah. You know, it's a thematic treatise. There was just one other thing that Carl corrected me on. And I think he was right about that was that I had, there's this one confrontation scene where, where the mad thinker hits Franklin and mm -hmm. Carl made me have it instead of being a hit like this, he made me have it as a open hand. Oh, the backhand. Yep harsh for a child and I then being a teacher myself I'm like yeah yeah you're yeah. right oh I changed that otherwise I was given complete freedom to write it however I wanted it was interesting because we had a guest on our show 
his favorite comic is the new warriors. And we had him on because we're going to be getting into a point where Alex is on new warriors. We were laughing because I didn't think about it until after I had him on. It's like, Oh, we've got the mad thinker on here. Who was the first character that was interacting with the new warriors when that book first started. So he was like, this is perfect because this is kind of the mad thinkers prior appearance in some form or another before he showed up in that new warriors book. So mad thinker was a great choice because I, at least for me, I, as you probably know, I love me a monologuing supervillain, <laughs> And that is the mad thinker. I love a bad guy who right when he should be like pulling the trigger stops and tells you his whole great plan in detail. <laughs> You know, that's a mistake that they always and, and in Marvel comics, particularly, he stands with his legs really far apart <laughs> while he declaims. He takes up a lot of space. He has a big man spread. Another reason I loved this story was because of all the dinosaurs, because Walter and Louise, of course, are best friends. And Walter is, you, as you probably know, <clears throat> mad for dinosaurs. Even his signature is a, is a dinosaur you know, little, um, what do you call them? Um, it's an apatosaurus, yeah. It's an apatosaurus. We used to call brontosaurus back in the old days. Uh, so so that was really fun, doing doing the dinosaurs and playing with them for, for him. You just covered the two things that I wanted to ask you about. I was going to, I wanted to ask what brought about the use of Mad Thinker, okay? And then uh, where did the dinosaurs come from? And it's because, well, Walter likes dinosaurs. And Walter. so do kids. And everybody loves dinosaurs. <laughs> Why did you pick Mad Thinker? I honestly don't remember. <laughs> Sorry. Was it to kind of tie it into like a Fantastic Four with Franklin sort of being, you know, the surrogate Reed, the, hey, this is my foe, but it's a smaller version of my foe. I can beat this foe kind of thing. Yeah, some something like, I, honestly, I don't remember what brought that up, but it just, once it did, it just seemed like it went naturally from the way it started to the way it was handled. I think, didn't we at some point talk about, can we use Dr. Doom? So maybe what happened is mm. we, and we were, that was shut, we were shut down from that. Going down the list of, like, of could we fantastic use? four villains till we found <laughs> one we could use. Yeah, Dr. Doom was actually used in the episode or in the issue before this one. That might be it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of characters that you used, Calvin and Hobbes and family, how did that come about? Is that a writer directive? I, I, I may have just, yeah, was not called for in the script. I may have just, <laughs> oh, I don't know how I got away with it. I may have just stuck Calvin and his family in there. <laughs> as, like, Why wouldn't psych, they go to the museum? As, a, as like a sight gag. <laughs> He got away with that the way he got away with putting Whoopi Goldberg on the cover. <laughs> but she loved it. Yeah, she uh, loved that. Yeah, he told us that story where he, uh, you guys went and the saw no a play that she did and, and said, bring this back to her. And she signed a playbill for it. Yeah, right up there on the wall. I, I will say that your aping of Bill Watterson is spot on. That's some pretty good job you did there with Calvin and Hobbes and the family. We were, we were pretty, I mean, I think everybody was in those days, pretty intense Calvin and Hobbes fans. You know, we, that, that was one of those comic strips that you, that you buy the newspaper specifically to read. It literally was the reason to keep reading the newspaper. Fans, you think? <laughs> <laughs> 
given to me a few years ago. We went, we went to Santiago, Chile to a comic con and our translator who became a friend when uh, he found out that we were big Calvin and Hobbes fans and this was his precious Hobbes. Oh my goodness. Me. Precious bootleg Hobbes. Precious bootleg <laughs> Hobbes because they're not allowed, you know, but uh, and he gave it to me and it's very precious. And he, he got it. He, he had to use a, a tuna fish sandwich to get it in the first place. Well, that's how you catch tigers. That's what I'm saying. That's how you catch Everybody knows that. Yeah, yeah, they're they're that way. Good call from the first strip. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm looking at some of the questions that we had some of their fans uh, send in. Al Sedano wanted to know: Were there any other young characters that either of you would have liked to have seen added into the team besides Franklin? Honestly, never thought about that at all. I can't imagine who. No. I mean, nowadays, if I could go back and draw a Power Pack story, I would love to do Power Pack meets Squirrel Girl. But she's not really a kid. But no, I think, she's not a kid. I but think that would be that almost would be, Julie's age. And she's Alex, college. she's Alex's age. She's college. Yeah, but she also has <laughs> she has a similar relationship to to classic Marvel villains as Power Pack does, in that she is the nemesis of Doctor Doom. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she's uh, she's tussled successfully with Galactus. So <laughs> I, I really think uh, love to do Squirrel Girl uh, and Power Pack. I think that would be wicked fun. I but like that. I like fun that combo. Idea. We liked our little group the way it was. I actually wrote. I was asked to write a <clears throat> story with Power Pack and the She Hulk. And it was all written and everything when they fired the editor. Oh. <laughs> so my story went up in smoke. It never got written, never got, got written, but it never got published. I would love to have drawn that. Holy cow. <laughs> I love She-Hulk. That was a fun one. I was really sorry. Well, what's on earth that do it? Yeah, do it. you could do it on yeah. spec or you could just do it for yourself or you could be like, man, I'm just going to distribute this. Uh, here's uh, Facebook. Look at what I'm doing. It's not my yeah. characters. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that goes a little <laughs> bit beyond fair use if you're publishing Marvel comics. Let's do another listener question real quick. And this is uh, Green Lantern HG. Uh, and they ask, if you could choose another team from another company to do a crossover, uh, who would it be? Crossover with Power Pack, huh? Crossover with Power Pack? From another team. If we're going maybe Lumberjanes, if we're going indie. Maybe Team Titans, if we're going... Ninja Turtles! Uh, oh, yeah! Ninja Turtles. I like that idea of the Lumberjanes. I think that that could be a lot of fun. I think that uh, Alex and Jack would be like, ah, what's happening? But Katie and Julia, they would be they would be totally into that. Yeah. Get right into it. That, I think the guys would feel... No, they Alex would be uncomfortable. Jack would probably be down with yeah, it. Yeah, Jack would be down with it. Jack would probably adapt, too. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? I'd love to do the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Power Pack. That's pretty hilarious. That would be fun, I think. Yeah. That would be a good one. I do like your idea with the Teen Titans, though, too, especially the old uh, Cartoon Network cartoon character versions of them. I love Teen Titans Go. I could see I could see a version of Power Pack, especially the, the version that Mark Sumerak came up with in the 2000s when he was doing Power Pack. That kind of mindset would be perfect with Teen Titans Go. We've just been watching the Animaniacs. Maybe they could team up with them. <laughs> the, the new Animaniacs? Yeah, that's a good show. Yeah? 
Uh, AJ was wondering, which sibling is the most over the top when it comes to the holidays? I mean, Katie's probably pretty big into the holidays. They never oh, they much did. about that. Oh, well, Alec was the first one to actually pee on camera in a, in a comic book. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the holiday. Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, we can say that that I think you've got something with Katie because Katie was the one who went over the top for the Thanksgiving episode. So yeah, yeah, I I, I think Katie, I think it's partly a function of the fact that Katie has seen a lot for a, a child that young. Uh, she's been through a lot, and I think that anything that smacks of security and normalcy and coziness. And Hugo, uh, I think that really appeals to Katie a lot. And I think probably it always will, even when she grows up. I think that mm. I think that Katie, because Katie's is sort of, you know, there's a there's a there's a rule of thumb with superhero teams, any teams, that you they can be broken up into head, heart, gonads, and spirit. You know, so for instance, with the, with the Fantastic Four, clearly uh, Reed, Reed is, is head. head and Ben is heart <laughs> and Johnny is gonads and Sue is spirit. Star Trek, say, you know, Kirk is, is balls, uh, Spock is brains, uh, McCoy is heart, you know. So thinking about Power Pack that way, I would kind of think that Katie is heart Julie is Jack spirit. Jack is gonads. Jack is gonads. <laughs> totally. And, and Alex is brains. Yeah, I can so, go with that. So, so I would give. Uh, I would say that probably Katie, being the most sentimental, is is big into Christmas. <laughs> is that MI? I hope not. I, I think we're fine. We'll make it work. Chad Michael Simon, who wrote uh, Yellowstone, which is kind of the spiritual successor, in a sense, from Power Pack, asks, Biggest one for me as a writer and artist would be, what was the transition like when you became the artist after June? Basically, how did you get the job? And what were the conversations as you adapted the kids into your unique style? I may have said this in a previous episode, but I got the job because the day I went into Marvel to try and break into the business... Larry Hama dumped me into Carl Potts's office just as Wheezy was in there discussing with Carl who they could possibly get to replace June because June was going to leave the book. And not and many people could draw kids in a way that they <laughs> did, not just miniature adults. Right. The first thing I heard her say was, no, everyone draws kids like muscular dwarfs. He, he, <laughs> we need somebody who can draw kids. And that's when sort of the miracle moment happened because somehow in my Marvel portfolio in the, in the pack of Xeroxes that I was bringing to Marvel, a sketch I had done of kids playing on the beach. I'd done this sketch a year ago and I, I'd sold the finished work at a, at a gallery, but somehow, even though I'd done the sketch in Maine, it had found its way into these Xeroxes. I can't, there's no earthly explanation for it. And it sort of drifted down from between the pages onto Carl's desks. desk, this picture of, kids playing on the beach. And Wheezy said, look, Carl, he can draw kids. Um, and that's how I broke into comics. What were the conversations as you adapted the kids into your unique style? Well, I mean, I was, I was the new guy, right? So I was, I was uh, really looking to Wheezy to sort of mentor me, which she was 
excellent at doing, uh, as was Carl. I mean, I was already a huge fan of Power Pack. Judy and I were, were like camping around the country in our hippie van in 1984 when the first issue came out. And we read it together, snuggled into the sleeping bag at night one night. And we haunted every comics shop in every village we passed through waiting for the next copy. So we were right up to speed on Power Pack. We loved Power Pack. It was like a, it was like a dream gig. So ad- adapting it was really more from, we- more from Louise's end because I sat down and tried to, you know, we'd, we'd talk over the plot on the phone and then she'd write the synopsis and I would sit down and draw it. Although and we'd continue to have frequent conversations and part of Wheezy's genius is she really loves to play with her friends and so she's very very indulgent very very generous so that when I wanted to do you know when I invented a little sight gag where you know Franklin makes a mess uh, of Jarvis with the flower (laughs) or something rather than say that wasn't in the plot she encouraged me and then asked for the page, you know, uh, of art. So, you know, comics were about collaboration in those days. And I couldn't, you couldn't have a better collaborator than Louise Simonson, particularly if you were a new guy in the business. So uh, it was, it was a, it was a, a dream. It's the way you, it's the kind of collaboration you can only dream about really now and probably very unlikely to happen these days. Yeah, I, I have the same thing whenever I, I work with Jeff. We have the same kind of, you know, artistic creation and artistic type of collaboration between the two of us. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of I bring the I bring some of the words and he brings the funny. That's our collaboration. Um, let me do one more question, then I will let you guys get out of here because we have to do our last question from Tim Price, the pod crasher. He's always got to give our last question. He grew up having cheese and sausage gift trays after every Christmas. What are your favorite cheese treats or snacks for the holidays? Oh, I definitely have one. There's a cheese, a Scandinavian cheese called Yetost, which comes in a little square red. It's a a little square red block. And it's it's like a cross between cheese and caramel and peanut butter, kind of. And I'm the only one who likes it. I want to try this. I get it all to myself. Santa's (laughs) really good with cheese and us at Christmas. We, we, we get an array of exotic cheeses, many of which we've never tried before, uh, in our stockings. But Judy always gets a block of yetos. So at and least I one cheese. And I shave it off in really thin little pieces mm. to keep it, you know, as long as I can. So every year, at least one cheese is a big hit. <laughs> I got to try that. That sounds good. Kalel is very fond of the British cheeses. Mm-hmm. I have to ask, is Kalel on the other side of the camera right now? He was briefly. He was a moment ago. He was briefly, and we we told him five minutes. Okay. <laughs> okay. We missed our Kalel sighting. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to go ahead and say thank you both very, very much for your time. We really appreciate this. I mean, we absolutely loved this book. We've loved all of the work that John has done on this book. We love the artwork. I am especially touched by the wonderful gift that you gave my daughter, John, uh, with the the beautiful piece of yeah, artwork that beautiful. you sent her. It, it really touched me a lot. It really meant something to me. It really meant something to her. 
I think all the Power Pack fans have always enjoyed your work. And I keep holding up this issue because it's a really good issue. So thank you very much, Judy, for being part of this as well. Yeah, we just really want to thank you both for joining us, and Judy especially. This is a dream come true, being able to talk to you and and your husband, who I think has helped you on some of the stuff that you've done. Uh, No, Doing it, too. Power Pack was a labor of love for us. And honestly, we'd be glad to stay longer if we didn't have to be elsewhere. And that's a callback. No, we understand you need to go, and we don't. We we want to absorb as much of your time as we possibly can, but we don't want to keep you from the things that you have to do. So, and and it's oh, we're always loving to have you on the show. Um, I'm glad that you still enjoy the show. I hope you both have a wonderful holiday season and take care of yourselves and say hi. Say hi to Kal El for us. Thank you. When you're fat, too, and stay safe. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Really appreciate it. It's great seeing you again. Shout out time! We like to recognize those listeners that take the time to write in or leave us a review. This is for episode 69, where we cover issue number 52. AJ! Al Sedano and Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. Andrew Byrnes. Atlas Sharded. Chad Michael Simon. Charlie Rose. Comics in the Golden Age. Damian Druitt Witter. Ed 209. Fractal. Green Lantern HG. Hal Jordan. Jeff Pollier. Kyle Sinelli. Malcontent. Matthew Birdsey. Max Travers. Nicholas Prom and Captain Freakout Psychedelic Radio. Sean and the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast. Shh. Soup. Tim Price, the Podcrasher, and his show, The Outcasters. Waffles from Waffles and Mario Talk About Things. And he says, seriously, when will you finally release your parody album? I know you're working on it. The same day that you release your parody album of all your favorite bathroom gurgles that you and Mario talk about and do on your show. The worst comic podcast ever with Colin Stapleton. And we would, again, like to thank Judy and John for joining us today. So amazing. We're so grateful and so thankful. Thank you so much. We always enjoy spending time with you and yours. We are Jeff and Rick Present, and we record and self-produce our podcast in Portland, Oregon. If you'd like to talk with us, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff and Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. Also, our YouTube site is at Jeff and Rick Present. And we are a proud supporter of the Hero Initiative, and we will be donating 10% of our Patreon donations to this great cause. We encourage everyone to give what they can to this worthwhile organization that helps the creators who provide us with such great content. Go to heroinitiative.org to find out more. And you can also find us on our other shows on the Rogue Agent submissions of of On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast or on my other show, Monthly Monday Movie Muckabout, which you can find on the Longbox Crusade Network. Please rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher. This will help other people find us. And as always, we want to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife, Sydney, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. We, we love, love you. you. Until next time. Costume off! Our theme music is 80s action by Kevin McLeod at CompTech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution for a point of license. The one who does the, the incredibly good cat power pack, yeah. cat group. Carrie, I've seen your drawings. They're awesome. She's not just a good drawer. She's a really, really good writer. And also, she sounds exactly like Katie. Exactly like Katie.
<laughs> she is Arcady, so that works out really good. She really is. She really is. <laughs> and 